Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. This is Sharon Swing. I am so excited to have this conversation, and you're actually joining in on a conversation that Ashley and I have already started today. I have with me Ashley Island, the author of Humankind, How Reclaiming Human Worth and Embracing Radical Kindness Will Bring Us Back Together. Ashley serves as a formation and preaching pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church. She shares God's message of redemption and reconciliation at conferences, colleges, and events around the country. Ashley earned a BA in international relations from the University of Southern California and completed her master's in organizational leadership at Judson University. Ashley and her husband, Delwyn, live in Grand Rapids, Michigan with their three children who are all social distancing. <laughs> yes, well, we Ashley. are. Thank you, Sharon. It's such a joy to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to do everything I can to encourage people to get this book in their hands and read it. Mm, thank you. So That's correct. I am just really pleased that we have um, some people that might listen to this from, uh, from our audience to be able to do that with. And um, this book is, it's a memoir. Mm. It is a series of stories that have a thread through it that, uh, that asks us to consider kindness as the antidote to a lot of the injustice and fear and hatred in the world. And um, before we get started really in the conversation, uh, Danielle Strickland did such a great job in the intro of saying who you are. Um, she says, she is a holy, mysterious, beautiful creation who has a sacred glow in the deepest part of her, a divine yes right at the center. I thought, how do you even take that in? <laughs> I see that. The yeah. people who know you see that, Ashley. <laughs> it's uh, with, with such humility. It's, um, I, I remember reading Danielle's introduction for the very first time. And just, I cried because it felt like someone put into words the desire of my heart and how I navigate my relationship with God, that um, my, my whole pathway, especially in the past 10 or 11 years, my desire has been to say yes to God, regardless of how crazy or nonsensical it seems. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I just love Danielle and I honor her for the ways in which she has really led the way in showing us what it means to call out Mago Day in someone else. And um, I think she did a beautiful job. She did. And in your book, you, you choose particular stories that shaped you. And I mean, with Listen to My Life, we help people map their life stories. And I, I've always um, respected and and honored the courage it takes to dive into your story. And Listen to My Life is kind of an on-ramp to that. But then taking on a project like this and taking these um, vignettes of, of moments that shaped you mm -hmm. and actually taking the time to write them out and to look at them again from the age you are now. Yes. Um, 
what was it like for you to approach this project emotionally? <laughs> for me, it was, so caveat here, I've been a journaler my entire life. Ever since I could pick up a pen and knew how to string words together, that's how I've been processing the world. And so for me, this was probably the most intensive journaling exercise of my life because um, I came up with the concept of kindness first, but it was really, I really do believe it was God's spirit that inspired telling the story of kindness through narrative. And so for me, it was, this, it was really tender emotional journey because so many of the stories in the book I processed already either in the context of community or through professional counseling. Um, but to look at them again from a different vantage point now with a family and, you know, serving the church in a different way. Um, it was, it was a yes and amen to who God is really of saying, Lord, you're the one who's been steadfast here. <laughs> Clearly, when I was not, when the circumstances surrounding my story were anything but sure, um, I could see, in essence, especially doing this chronologically, um, how God's fingerprint was all over my life from the beginning. And that was a, um, felt like my soul was just, you know, some parts pained again, like there are some painful parts of this, but also more than that, um, just more committed to who God is um, in writing these stories out and to sit in them again. And it, it sparked in me a, a desire for our world and our local community to, to come back to what really gives life and to what matters again. Um, in the way of kindness and really tapping into the power of the fruit of God's spirit. Mm -hmm. So it was a beautiful personal journey going through those stories again, but also I think it ignited a fire in me for kind of what I want my life's work to be. Um, and so in that way it was affirming as well. How do you describe what you want your life's work to be? Oh, it's straight from Isaiah 58. That's like the easiest question you could ask because um, on a silent retreat, um, the Lord gave me just almost like this charge from scripture. And in Isaiah 58, um, the prophet's talking about true fasting. And uh, Isaiah says, if you commit yourself to the poor, you know, this is God speaking to the people. If you commit yourself to the poor um, and to righting wrongs all around you, to taking care of the most vulnerable, he goes, you will be called rebuilder of broken walls restore of streets with dwellings. And I felt like that's just, no matter what I do, whether I'm working in a church or at home full time, no matter where I go, what I do, it feels like that's the charge on my life. And that's to be a rebuilder and a restorer anywhere I go. And so that's what I hope this book accomplishes in part. Oh, that's beautiful. Now for our listeners that can't hear you, describe your upbringing and what perspective you're bringing to these stories. Yeah. Um, so I grew up as a black woman in Houston, Texas. Um, grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, but there was actual, actually a fair amount of diversity in certain 
pockets of that neighborhood, Houston is kind of a melting pot in and of itself. Um, it's an international hub. And so um, I had the great gift of going to a school that is both, um, it, it's still an all girls private Catholic school. So I did that for 13 years, um, predominantly white. So it, out of the 66, I believe it was girls that I graduated with, there were four of us who were black, um, but I also had friends from India, from England, um, from Pakistan. And so I have this really cool tapestry of French friendships from um, my schooling that is one of the greatest gifts of my life. Like, I don't know if my parents meant to give me that gift intentionally, but I'm so glad that they did. Um, so growing up in this predominantly white neighborhood, going to a predominantly white school, going to an all black Baptist church on the weekends for a season of our life growing up. Um, and then my parents choosing to put me in activities where I would be exposed to a predominantly black culture. So um, running track with the amateur athletic union, going to the South side of Houston to do that um, and being a part of majority there. Uh, it was almost an all black team. Um, and then other experiences sprinkled throughout my, my life where um, really there were these two dominant cultures and I felt like I did not fit well into either one of them. Okay. And so I was consistently navigating, straddling this fence, if you will, <laughs> of like, where do I fit in? How do I, in essence, prove myself that I'm, I'm good enough to be in either one of these spaces while also trying to navigate the core of my, my true identity apart from those spaces. Right, because um, the, the way people were were responding to just who you are but mo not just who you are but basically the color of your skin yeah is either you were not black enough or you were too black yeah exactly yeah exactly um and so you know there's a chapter in the book where i talk about nicknames that i was given and one of those nicknames um in the context of school was Oreo, where it's like, okay, you're black on the outside, but you, you're really operating from a predominantly white cultural foundation. And so you're white on the inside and trying to make sense of that or going to my track club and a friend saying, well, why do you talk white? Like, why are you black, but you, you talk white. So in that sense, not being black enough for them, um, however they were defining that. And so this was a consistent struggle, not just, in kindergarten through my senior year in high school, but beyond into college and even in my early 20s. And sometimes even now having to ask some of the, the preliminary questions when I walk into any room or any space or environment where I might be the only woman or the only person of color, um, I'm finding that there are some knee-jerk questions that still surface that I, I'm handling differently, um, but they're still there. And so what does it look like to, in the context of kindness, not just give it away and to display it, but to receive it in those spaces um, where it feels like I'm in this relationship with the spirit of God that doesn't just require me speak kindness to a broken world, but it allows me to receive kindness from God himself. Um, and that's been my personal journey with kindness and kind of the, the arc of how these stories paint that picture throughout my life personally. Yeah, it, it, it seems like as I read the stories, like, okay, God is intentionally putting you in these places for the benefit of the learning of someone else 
yes. then leaving you to navigate some things that make that very complex for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I was left in so many situations that I talk about in the book, still struggling. And it wasn't until enough time had passed to where I could glean some of the, the perspective of where God was in that situation. Um, it took years in some cases to understand like this wasn't just for someone else's learning. This, this was God either protecting me or, or shaping or informing me or, um, you know, I truly believe that if I hadn't had some of those experiences now, I wouldn't be as in love with the church as I am right now. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was all for, it was all for my good in the end mm -hmm. because God is good. But at the time, I don't know if I could have gotten there as quickly. It's a good, <laughs> it's, it's the series of, of kind of tangled messes. Yes. That, that as a reader, I, I can't tell you how many times I cried mm, <laughs> mm. and how many times I just felt so uncomfortable because mm -hmm. I saw myself in the story at times mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I didn't like what I saw. Mm, mm. And this is the best kind of teaching mm. through story like this, Ashley. I mean, I just, um, I have not, read a book quite like yours mm. that is so honest from your own perspective and also so ripe with the opportunity. I mean, it's just an honor to read it. Mm. And for me growing up, and I don't remember there being people of color or in my high school, for example. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, totally unaware of how that situation happens where a place ends up being kind of whitewashed yeah 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 you know and uh even just how segregated things went when i went to college mm -hmm. and uh and just so many pieces of like how did i get my perspective on 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 race and class and you know how do how did i process through all that and what were the events in my life that that started to radically shift mm, yeah yeah and um the good news is my mom was always kind mm -hmm. you know and i think i, I think that. back i think back to um just the pieces in my story that that kindness was just going to be the choice yes and because that's what i was handed yes and yeah. thank goodness it was yeah yeah that's right and this is where i i think um because we've read we've all read books where it's here are the five ways to be more blank right and it's it's there's an academic approach there's a lot of good data and research and I think I could have written the book that way. I think I could have. I'm so glad you didn't though. But I'm glad I didn't. And here's why, because I, especially in the, in the context and the conversation of race and reconciliation, even if that reconciliation isn't racial, I have a desire to see shame and, and unhelpful guilt 
lifted from the fabric of how we move closer to the understanding and the living out of the unity that Jesus prayed over us. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something powerful about story that accomplishes that because there's so many things I didn't have to say explicitly, but to hear you say, Sharon, like I was able to see and go back and, and meditate on some of you know my experience. That's exactly what I was hoping to do in inviting people to consider their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like shame off you, whoever reads the book. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, shame we're, off we're you. All, we're all handed <laughs> stories along yes, the that's way. Yes, that's it. We're, that's it. And, and, and this whole process of, you know, what we do with mapping life stories, mm-hmm. uh, we just, we keep saying it over and over again. This is a process of deciding what to take with you and what to leave behind. Yes. And I still have my maps. I've had there these maps go. for years and they're so helpful. I actually referred um, a group that I was leading through this three-part study on biblical kindness in week two, where we talk about inward the inward journey of kindness, I actually said, go to onelifemaps.com and see if there's anything there that Sharon and Joan can help with, because this is such a good tool and essentially another way, you know, you can read a book, but there's also the work of looking at your story again Mm -hmm. and to say, perhaps there are things there that I knew were there, but now we've got a different perspective or now I've got more patience with myself, or now I have more time or more desire or more is on the line. And this is a really beautiful invitation story in and of itself, whether it's ours or listening to someone else's. It's a really beautiful invitation to go deeper into the story of who God is. No kidding. And one of my deep desires is to put diverse people together I'm, mm-hmm. I, I want men and women in the same listening yes. groups. I want people of different backgrounds in the same group, you mm-hmm. know, I, because how else are we going to bridge these gaps if we keep hanging out with the same people that are just like us? That's right. And, That's right. Um, if, and, and your book is kind of one of those illustrations of we have to hear one another's story, stories to be able to put down our perceptions. Yeah. Our, you know, that, and the stories we've been handed and um, in, all, in a way that allows us to change from the inside out. I just don't know that there's a way forward except for God's spirit putting us in the path of people that are different than us. Oh, completely. I mean, as you were talking, I envisioned, I mean, you're an artist, so hopefully this image resonates with you, but um, I'm envisioning broken glass and we can make a mosaic out of one tone of broken glass, right? One color. That's fine. But the most beautiful mosaics, the most intricate pieces of art are the ones that um, have integrated so many different shades, textures, um, sizes, you know, like those are the ones that hang in museums. Those are the ones that, you know, we can, that we can point to and say there was time taken here. That piece is rich because of the integration of different uh, forms and shapes and colors. And I kind of see it that way. I was reading an article 
about a way forward beyond this current moment of social distancing and COVID-19. And it says we have the possibility of rebuilding a future that's more in alignment with God's vision for us. Mm. And the question that I, it was, it was such a beautiful article, but um, the question I had was, but who gets invited to build? You know, we have to be willing in hearing one another's stories in our, in our perspectives and being open to those perspectives being shifted to consider how do we now do life together differently and um, perhaps storytelling and listening to our own lives and other people's will be a part of that. Yeah. It's that combination of, of learning how to listen Mm -hmm. and having the right circumstance because sometimes it's just such an uncomfortable first piece of the conversation to invite the story of someone that's different than us because we're afraid of showing our own ignorance even. Oh, completely. I can't imagine. (laughs) It's, it's, um, and even, yeah, but I, I hope though that there are multiple parts of this equation where there's fear showing up to the table because one might be afraid of one's own ignorance. But then on the other side of the table, there has to be this um, grace and this, this patience and perseverance to say what matters more than one's ignorance is the relationship that might be built on the other side of this. Completely. Yeah. That's so well said. So, so well said. I hope both sides of those equations are, are working well so that we can move to more mutual flourishing in that way. Yeah. In the book, um, are the responses you've gotten from people who have read the book, are there any particular um, stories that get brought up most often? Oh, for sure. The one about Charlottesville, um, mm. protests and police. That one is by far the one that I get asked about the most. Um, Why don't you say a little bit about that story? Tell sure. that story. Sure. So a few years ago, um, there was a lot of tension and unrest in Charlottesville um, that made national headlines. And the hub, the the core of a lot of that unrest was racially motivated. Um, and, and these are these are broad details, <laughs> you know, if you want to mm-hmm. go online and folks can read more about the details, but here's what it inspired in me. I think we were living in a neighborhood at the time where right after Charlottesville happened, we started seeing Confederate flags pop up, um, in multiple homes around us. And, uh, honestly, I was scared. You know, I was, we were maybe the only black family in this neighborhood, at least the only one that we knew of. And I just um, did not know how to be a good neighbor in an environment where I felt like I stood out like a sore thumb and I could not be for sure how people were perceiving our existence. Like it was such a mind game um, that I was playing with myself and the end result was fear. And I remember just having a a point of quiet time with the Lord and just really coming to this understanding that if I allowed fear to exist and have an elongated um, defining mark on my life in that season, that I was going to be paralyzed. I wouldn't be able to do the work that God had called me into. I wouldn't be able to love my own family or other people well. 
And so I kind of did the thing that came the least naturally to, to me, and that was to reach out and to invite uh, the representation of that fear into proximity. And so I ended up calling our local law enforcement and just saying, hey, I think we're all aware of what's going on in Charlottesville right now. You know, I'm so curious to know how this impacts your profession and what, how you think about events like these um, and just wanting to know if anyone's interested in coming over. And then I did the most elementary thing, Sharon. I baked cookies with my daughter and we mixed together some Country Time Lemonade and we just waited. And we had friends just come and sit in our living room just so we wouldn't be alone. And then two police officers showed up. They actually showed up at the time where we said, you know, this was happening. And we had this conversation about um, just what it was like for them in the neighborhood. I mean, and uh, the conversation felt like a little underwhelming, to be honest with you, felt very regular and normal. (laughs) And yet I think the lasting impact of making that of making that touch point was huge for me because I could not hate and I could not fear that which I saw in the flesh. And it was so healing for me um, just to know that I was able to have that conversation. It was a microcosm of a larger thread that was running in and through our country of saying like, no, um, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna be best friends with these two officers. And yes, there are still there are still those um, situations where not everyone's going to have the same positive motivation or the same loving kindness toward one another. And we're seeing that even recently. But what I can control is I can choose to not be afraid. And sometimes stepping out of fear and into love looks like drawing closer and not farther apart or just baking cookies or just baking cookies like just you know anything to get me unstuck and it seemed so i mean there were multiple times where i was like what am i doing like what <laughs> what am i really hoping to accomplish here but the the main point was i i could not let fear win yeah. i couldn't um and so for, for that situation, for that day, the best I could do was to extend an invitation to bake some cookies and to wait. And um, th- I, I don't think I'll ever forget that, that moment. I don't think I will either. Because <laughs> yeah, I heard about the story. Yeah. And I remember your post on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Um, at that point in time. And yeah. I cried. Mm-hmm. 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 I just cried. Yeah. I was sorry that it made you feel so fearful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for having courage. Yeah. Thank you. And just doing something, just the simplicity of it, but yet mm-hmm. the power of it. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, Honestly, like speaking just from a very honest place, sometimes courage, that type of courage displayed over and over again gets really tiring. I can imagine. And, and that's it's right. not your responsibility. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's, but, but, you, but you take it. 
Yes. And so, and that's where I think there's so much potential for um, increased partnership um, and um, awareness, especially, you know, when we talk about in the context of Grand Rapids and um, kind of the church and the space that we're leading now is so committed to racial reconciliation because it needs to be a shared burden, you know, Um, for so long, it's been people of color, um, advocating for themselves and speaking, speaking up for themselves. And that's, it's, it's just a heavy burden to bear. So yes, courage in that day. And also the lasting invitation, uh, to do that together. You know, um, I think I need to, I want to say, uh, to our listeners here that, um, I didn't just pick up Ashley's book randomly. Actually, uh, I requested a, a copy from your publisher because mm-hmm. I wanted them to know that, that uh, podcasters were really interested in it. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, the other piece of it was that uh, that one has not, that one showed up, but this is actually Matt's copy. My oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as it was available on Amazon, um, Matt ordered this. I love it. And, oh, um, man. and, and he had, and uh, so he brought it with him to when he came to shelter in place mm-hmm. with us, with Aww. his wife. And, and um, so now Tom has read it and he wants me to tell you how much he loved your book. As well. Oh, thank you, Tom, and, wherever you uh, are. <laughs> my husband, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, it's making the rounds in our household uh, at this point in time. And uh, I want our listeners to know that Ashley has been a, an influential piece in my son's story, as well as his friend's stories uh, through Mm. the youth ministry that, uh, that Ashley, Ashley was a part of leading. And so I owe Ashley a debt of gratitude um, Mm. uh, for a piece of just the amazing uh, young men that these that this group of friends is have, have been growing into together for a long part of time, point, uh, a long time now, I guess it's actually not that terribly long. It was only when they were in high school, but they just, felt, you know, <laughs> gosh, so they, longer. <laughs> they do um, eight years, whatever it was, <laughs> That's but, right. uh, but you help provide the context for them to grow those friendships mm. and have deep conversations and tell each other their stories yeah. and be relationally courageous Yes. Um, yes. Together. And they are still doing that. And I think that um, knowing you has, because their stories, um, they needed you in their stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh. uh, for so many good reasons, That's for kind. so many good reasons. Thank and uh, the challenges that you, that you presented, uh, um, you know, just, to be real and courageous and mm-hmm. vulnerable and, mm-hmm. um, and all along the way. And for them to just see your beauty and your strength oh, and your thank leadership. Thank you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you, Sharon. Um, has, has marked them. And mm-hmm. I just appreciate that so much. So everyone, you know, this is a collection of short essays. You can read a, a chapter within 10 minutes yeah. or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes you need to put it down for a little bit because it's going to mess with your own story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, you know, just and and actually the story about um, what happened to you at Chipotle. 
yeah. you know, someone after after being in a petting zoo and showing up with a lot of mud on you and everything else, someone assuming that you were probably homeless and in need and yeah. and, and and offering to pay for your lunch, which was a kind gesture, but yes. really had such such a different effect on you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was a, um, you know, and that's, that's what's tricky about this because I truly do believe she was extending herself to me in kindness. And yet there were parts of that conversations that were just yellow flags where I realized, Oh, there are assumptions that she's making about me that perhaps served as the catalyst for her extending herself in this way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's those assumptions that, that really left a lasting impression. And that taught me a lot. That taught me a lot about, okay, when we, when we talk about serving ministry or even extending help and compassion, um, how do we reevaluate the terrain of our own hearts and our motivations for why? Um, so it, it, it didn't feel great to be on the receiving end of that interaction. And yet it taught me so much about how and why I um, enter into opportunities for compassion and, and helping and giving that um, I'm still thinking about, to be quite honest with you, um, in trying to build a bridge. Um, again, just lots of assumptions made. Um, and yet, yeah, it, you know, I, I left feeling like I needed to prove myself somehow, you know, like I I wanted to refuse her help to prove that I could pay for my own lunch. And that, that didn't produce something great in me, but again, it, it taught me a lot. Um, So I, I don't tie up, I don't tie a lot of bows on no, these stories. You don't. And, and, and because you leave them raw, yeah. that's why they, they, they challenge, they challenge us to think through our own assumptions and our own right. decisions and, yes. and actions and, yep. and also, but just let, hopefully let kind, kindness overcome. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And, that's it. Yeah. And, and so I think that's part of what I appreciated, Ashley, was that you didn't tie it up into a neat mm-hmm. bow because it's not going to get tied up into no. a neat bow. This is something we are going to be trying to figure out together and hopefully together and fumbling through together yeah. um, to figure out because this is a combination of you start sorting out your story and me sorting out my story in the midst of me reading yours. Yes, that's right. And yeah, there's there's a beauty in that because the Holy Spirit gets mixed up in there, and uh, and and does some really good stuff. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes, and Amen. I the one thing I regret is that as people are processing their own stories through the lens of the book, I I can't. I, I can't always be front row to how people are processing, you know? And so for people that I know personally in the context of relationship, it's been really fun to see where those intersections are happening mm-hmm. or what's really resonating or perhaps what's getting triggered in people. Um, mm-hmm. And so my prayer has consistently been, 
God, I trust that as people read and as this bumps into their own story or opens up something else, that you would be the ultimate healer, that you would be the best listener, that you would be the one to whom we can bring all of our stuff and all of our questions and all of our wonderings and all of our awe. Um, because uh, the storytelling hap- happens best in community and um you know, it's just not possible to, to do that with a book like this. So I am trusting the Holy Spirit to speak. I am. Yes. And, and, and he is, and it's a courageous act to write a book like this and then just kind of send it out into the world. <laughs> I had a panic moment on release day. Back in April. <laughs> I said, oh no, that. it's not just my mother reading this. <laughs> this, oh my is, this is, <laughs> and she like, and uh, I've had a lot of people ask like, how does your family feel about some of these stories being told and people who are included here? And that was a really beautiful part of the process as well. Um, inviting others into the writing of this and the perspective from which some of these stories were told, because even though this was my perspective, it involved other people. And so a Mm -hmm. chief goal of mine too, is to be honoring to how I told those, those stories and giving people a heads up and inviting people to read the chapters before they were kind of in cement. And so Um, I feel good about how those were represented. And I also had, again, a panic moment of going, oh my gosh, I feel like people are going to know me without knowing me. And how do I really feel about that? And whoops, it's too late. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that ship has sailed. It has sailed. (laughs) So if you want to talk about surrender as a spiritual discipline, write write a memoir and then Uh, just let it go. It's a courageous act, but, but it's almost as if I, you know, I want, I want everybody who does listen to my life or has done listen to my life to read this book Mm. because I think it will bring back particular kinds of, of, of memories and instances. And you have modeled for us um, some wonderful ways of going about doing this kind of work. Yeah. And um, this is a story, your stories are stories that will bump up against a lot of people, regardless of who you are. That's right. Um, and invite us to, to take a look at particular kinds of themes that, that God might still want us to sort out and what to take with and what to leave behind and how we want to live and who we want to be mm. as humans. So um, this human kind and kind is in is in parentheses so it's humankind is the name of the book by ashley island and island is e-i-l-a-n-d you can get it on amazon would be probably my guess as to how most people are doing it right now (laughs) that's how most people are doing it's available anywhere books are sold so target barnes and noble amazon wherever you like to buy your books yeah, and I, I I hope it just is one that just grows over time because I think this one has a serious amount of lasting power. Mm. So, Ashley, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sharon, so thank you many for things. having me. Thank you yes. for having me. This conversation was life giving, and I so believe in the work that you're doing as well to invite people uh, to the depths of their story. So, thank you. This was a joy. I am thrilled that our stories have inter- have been intertwined in various ways. Ashley, many blessings to you and your amazingly beautiful family. 
This podcast is sponsored by OneLifeMaps.com, creators of unique visual life mapping materials titled, Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story. Go to OneLifeMaps.com to purchase your Listen to My Life portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's OneLifeMaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. You can help support this podcast and the work of One Life Maps by supporting us on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash onelifemaps to pledge $5 or more per month and get weekly audio meditations to help you recognize and respond to God in your story. Thank you for tuning in to the One Life Maps podcast. Until next time, make the most of this one life that you've been gifted. Thank you.